Music Makers. Welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects you to music and one another. My name's Chris. I'm a board-certified music therapist, and welcome back to the spot where the music industry, the gear community, the music therapy world, and everybody else music-related all meets. I like to share the stories of different music professionals to show you how they make a life and a living in the variety ways that they can do it in a career in music. So I'm pretty sure that didn't make any sense grammatically, but we're just going to keep trucking on. You ready? So I hope it feels like fall wherever you are. There's football. Um, Got my fantasy football team. You know, most important part is making sure I set auto draft and, you know, the name. That's way more important than, you know, who's actually on my team, but whatever. So Today, I've got a great interview. I've got Jack Foreman, the president of Bicoastal Productions. They're a New York City-based concert and theatrical booking agency. So he gets to work with cool people like Lee Rocker of the Stray Cats, uh, Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway, his show, uh, the Red Hot Chili Pipers. If you don't know them, you need to stop and go to YouTube and watch the Red Hot Chili Pipers right now. Um, but yeah, he's super involved in all kinds of industry organizations. So this is a cool peek behind the curtain. And he talks a lot about his personal history of falling in love with live music and going to clubs in Israel and, uh, just all kinds of wild stories. So you're going to love this chat. This is Jack Foreman of Bicoastal Productions on Make More Music. All right, Jack, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming and chatting with me about what you do at Bicoastal Productions. Before we get into everything, though, are you ready for some rapid fire? I'm ready, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So first, I want you to get out your phone or your media player, whatever you listen to music on, and tell me what's the last track you played. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Last track I played was Rock It Off by Stray Cats. Okay, there we go. A little bit of rockabilly for us, huh? Mm-hmm. I like it. Are you a big rockabilly fan? Uh, I, I've gotten more and more into it these past few years. Uh, we rep Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats, so um, they just are releasing their album tomorrow, and that track came out a little bit early. It's a really cool live album from last year's reunion tour, so I just was kind of previewing it and liked the sound of it. Yeah, I know that uh, they just put up a bunch of stuff on the Reverb shop online, yeah. so they're selling a lot of old uh, Stray Cats stuff that you can buy. Really cool stuff I could never afford, but, you know, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool regardless. Yeah. But that's fun. All right. This you can take as literal or, um, you know, you can take it philosophical, go whatever direction you want to take. But if you were an instrument, what would you be? Uh, I would probably be like a didgeridoo or some like weird long wind instrument of some sort that's used by aboriginal peoples i like that a lot yeah as the first i've, I've had theremin um as one of the answers but didgeridoo yeah i just I, any reason I, why you'd pick didgeridoo just to be different you know i was i was imagining back uh i once had a day to kill when i was in phoenix and my flight was late i went to the museum of musical instruments or mim um and I just Sweet. went through there, and I could spend days there. And I was just looking at all these amazing instruments I'd never heard of, and I was just like, "These, this is a whole new way of experience, exper- experiencing music." And uh, I don't know. I just I was always very taken with the wind instruments, and um, there's just something real 
connected with nature about them. You know, as much as I love a good guitar or drum kit, it's just something about a, a wind instrument that was literally a hollowed out log or something like that is yeah. just something super real about it. A breath and a piece of log. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And with didgeridoo, you got the circular breathing and the crazy overtones yep. and all that cool stuff. I love it. Uh, my buddy in, in high school had one and he just, I don't know why, I don't know why he had one, but we would just annoy the piss out of his parents with that I'll thing. Bet. So, you know, cause it's not that fun of a sound when you're like no. watching reality television in no. the other room. Uh, cool. So in the middle of everything, I keep talking to people now because, you know, in March it was easy to ask, Oh, what's been inspiring you recently? But I think nobody thought this would be dragging on so long. So what has been inspiring you in September while you're still very much dealing with all of the COVID ramifications to your work? I'd, I've been pretty amazed and pretty blown away by all the work that people from all around our industry have been doing with NEVA, the National Independent Venues Association. I mean, it's mm. really everybody involved. It's artists, agents, managers, venues, I mean, obviously venues, but it's just, it's a, it's really something how everybody's gotten together to try to do something th- for these venues that are at the risk of basically going extinct. These independent venues that everybody's just taken for granted in their market. I mean, they go there and they enjoy wonderful, wonderful entertainment, you know, in all shapes and sizes. And uh, they're facing extreme risk right now of all going out of business unless they're you know, part of a college campus or they're city owned or, you know, they have some sort of backing behind them that's keeping them afloat. But uh, the fact that so many people have stepped up and kind of unified an mm. effort around it to lobby for congressional aid on top of it really is, uh, it's pretty inspiring. Yeah. What, what have you seen since you have kind of a different spot at looking at that? What have you seen that uh, some of the different venues have done that you think has been awesome or you applaud, you think they've done well. Cause I've been watching the Ryman's um, Instagram and how they are offering tours and, you know, the distance concerts and stuff. So what are some of the places that you like? What have they been doing that you thought was cool? I think the venues that have tried to stay performing, whether it's in a virtual sense where they're having actual shows on the stage without an audience, or they're just broadcasting quality content from them as an entity without even opening their doors. Uh, I think anyone that's been doing that has been staying ahead of the curve and trying to remain in front of their people. A lot of people have embraced the virtual model and even experimented with pay-per-view style events where people can watch them from home and stream them in all sorts of ways. And we've just seen so many people try it. And we've been working with a lot of venues and getting that set up. Uh, My company is partnered with a platform called Veeps that uh, is based out of LA. And they originally created this amazing platform for artists. Uh, It was founded by Mm. artists, by Joel and Benji Madden from Good Charlotte. And they've recruited a number of amazing artists, but they've also engaged venues. And now more and more venues are signing up for it so that they can stage and ticket amazing high-quality shows from within their venue uh, and stream them to anywhere in the world. And uh, I think in the past 100 days, they've generated like $3 million in ticket sales. And that's something. That is wild. Yeah. That is really wild. Leave it to good Charlotte, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Next, this can be something related to your work and what you do in your field or in your life that people could benefit. So what's a pro tip or a hack that you use that you feel like other people should know about? Uh, 
marry somebody smarter than you, or at least that mm. makes you think that they're smarter than you. I mean, I know my wife is smarter than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a great tip. Yeah, That's well, no, just, just I think I think a, a real interesting saying I've been hearing tossed around a lot is that if you're if you're the smartest person in a room, you're probably in the wrong room. I think it's important yeah, to really sure. uh, surround yourself with people that are coming to you with new skills and may know more about something than you do, and that's okay. Um, I think you you kind of put yourself in a bit of a rut if you're always the smartest person in a Zoom room, I guess, would be the more relevant thing. Nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> nowadays. Well, the cool thing is nowadays that's very true because uh, everybody is literally Zooming right now. Mm-hmm. I've Zoomed with and did a lesson with Robert Randolph because he's at home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I think goes to show like now we have more access to everybody because everybody needs to be connected now. So yeah. go and get you a lesson with somebody like Robert Randolph. You kidding don't, me? Yeah. I'd love to. Don't be the smartest person. I've never, I've never even touched a pedal in my life, but if I could just watch Robert, you know, hone his craft on Zoom for an hour, I'd be, I'd just sit back and, you know, enjoy yeah, literally, he's like showing me things, and I'm like, I mean, I'm hanging in there. Like, I get what you're saying, but then he would he'll start he would start showing me something. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I, I was just you know in entranced. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you know, like a like a lesson right there for a minute. So yeah, it, it's good. He's one of the people that's been doing a lot of those uh, lessons with the masters, and a lot of people have, are doing that now and. My wife took a cooking class with uh, the girl that won Top Chef mm. like uh, a couple of years ago. She won the Louisville one. And uh, now we've been eating amazing, amazing biscuits and using her amazing fried chicken recipe. And it's like that kind of stuff. Like I would have never thought, oh, you're going to be in a pandemic, but you're also going to get to do all these things. It's like I got to get down what? south. I need some of that comfort food these days. Yes. My wife's been cooking healthy, trying to keep us in line. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's better than the COVID-15, so. Yeah. Well, that's a great transition, though. What is your go-to junk food? Oh, man. Uh, I'm the wrong person to ask about that, but um, I, I'm i always a sucker for really good ice cream. Um Okay. And sometimes I'll even keep it super simple, but my wife and I just that's our that's our pleasure, our craving and we both are the just vice. nuts about yeah. ice cream. What uh what's your go-to right now? Good good new flavor or a classic you always go back. You know, on the Jersey Shore, we have uh some of the best Italian ice ever and Ooh. uh we we both love going to this place locally called Lighthouse where they just have this perfect um really good Italian ice and it's it's light. You know, it doesn't weigh you down and feel super heavy. It's just like a light, Not as heavy, refreshing yeah. snack. And, you know, they have this peanut butter flavored ice and you mix it with vanilla and it's just, it's it doesn't get much better. There was an Italian ice place in uh, Orlando that was like a local chain called Jeremiah's. Mm. If you ever go down to Orlando, you'll have to, you'll have to compare it. I'm sure it's not, you know, the same, but I think you would like it a lot. Probably. It uh, sounds very similar. It's really good. Yeah. Um, Next time I'm up there, I'll hit that up. We went to Spring Lake and uh, for a wedding and then went up to the city and, man, the food. I got it after that. After I had been to New York, I was like, I get the pizza thing. I get why they're crazy about it. Yeah, so. we're not far from Spring Lake. I mean, there's just it's, – it's a regional thing. It's like the people around here take such offense if you uh, 
tell them that something of theirs is better in other parts of the country. So they make such a big point of making it as <laughs> making good as it amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good problem. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Lastly, you already talked about a couple of cool agencies and people doing cool things, but who is a person, a project, or an organization that's doing something cool right now that deserves a shout out? Um, well, I mean, I, I gave a shout out kind of early on to Joel and Benji Madden uh, from Good Charlotte and what they're doing with Veeps. I mean, it's just the reason I'm I, I'm very fond of it is not just because it's a really good platform with great capabilities for artists and venues to generate incremental revenue. I, I really like the mission behind it. You know, I think that the two of them are established artists who have made it. You know, they've they've really honed their craft over all the years they've been touring as musicians, but they genuinely are doing it because they care about artists and they care about venues. You know, they, they look at themselves at the top of their career, you know, all those years ago, and they look at the venues that they played that got them where they are today. Uh, and a lot of what they do is because they want to give something back and they really want artists to have something that's turnkey, that's not going to intimidate them, where they can feel like it was made by an artist. So, I, I give a lot of props to them for that, for not just saying, well, we have what we need and people can fend for themselves. You know, they really they really held a lot of hands uh, over the past, you know, three years they've been in business and then especially during the pandemic with this with this platform. Um, but we're working with yeah. a lot of great stuff right now where people are just just scratching the surface of audience engagement at a virtual level. Well, I love it, man. So tell me a little bit about your personal journey. Take me back to when you're very young. What were some of your first musical memories? And then as you're growing up, um, I'm not sure your background at all. So were, were you learning some instruments? What instruments have you learned? And what made you get towards getting in a career like this? So take me way back. I, I really don't have any musical talent to speak of. Uh <laughs> I, I think admitting that is the first step to moving forward in a musical career that's not playing an instrument. I never really had a singing voice, even though I thought I might have at one point. But uh, I just I was always a music lover. I was a lover of concerts, and I was a lover of the process. And then at a young age, I started just really trying to imagine what it was like um, backstage. You know, imagine mm. what, what, what made this show happen. You know, the first concert I think I ever went to in Milwaukee growing up was uh, my friends and I, my friend's dad took my friends and I to see the hives at um, mm. the rave in Milwaukee, iconic Milwaukee venue. And um, I, I just fell so head over heels for that band. And I still am a huge fan to this day, you know, but but that's really what launched me into wanting to go to a show anytime possible. And then into high school, I was going to shows every week, multiple times a week. And then I started going to Chicago for shows. And then I went to college in Chicago and spent a year abroad in the Middle East and started going to some really cool, interesting shows out there. And uh, I just, I I really surrounded myself with the live aspect, even though I never really dabbled as a musician myself. And then in college, I started working for a couple of record labels as an intern when I spent a semester in New York. And then I went back to Chicago where I was going to school and I interned for an agency called the Windish Agency. And I was working with artists that I was listening to on a day-to-day basis as an intern. And even at that distance, I still felt so passionate and connected because I was part of the process. Mm. You know, I remember one time I was working on artist visas for an artist that I was obsessed with at the time. 
And I was thinking to myself, like, I better not screw this up or else this show isn't going to be able to tour or I'm going to delay the process. And I just, wow. I loved being a part of the process that brought the show to the stage and seeing how it worked, seeing how stimulating it was, you know, not necessarily at that time thinking about how frustrating it could be and how you know, gut-wrenching it can be at times, but... <laughs> uh, you know, that's really what launched. And then I was uh, recruited to ICM out of college and moved to New York and uh, been here ever since. I ended up at Bicoastal shortly after because it just wasn't a good fit for me there. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of the journey in a nutshell. Man, so cool. So obviously you are enthralled from seeing these shows and that kind of magnetism that honestly, you know, as I've grown up, and, you know, now with kids and it's harder to get back out. Mm-hmm. Every time I do get the chance to go out, I'm reminded like, wow, this is it. Because uh, I was pretty fortunate when I was a child, my parents were deadheads. And I saw the Grateful awesome. Dead like 50 times by the mm-hmm. time I was like five years old. That's our best estimate. So I cried when Jerry died. But um, – Tell me then, what are some of the shows, you mentioned the Hives, but what are some of the shows that were super impactful as you're starting to go all the time? Were you seeing like local bands and other high school bands, or were you checking out Big Axe or everything or anything? What yeah. was that like? Yeah, I mean, we had we had a great music scene in Milwaukee, a great DIY scene especially, where there was a lot of local bands that would get together and throw these house or basement shows in you know, in the college area of the east side of Milwaukee. I, I really got more into that towards the tail end of high school, and there were some great local Milwaukee bands. A lot of good acts came from Milwaukee, and I was always going to Chicago for bigger shows, but uh, I just was – it was it was funny. In, in high school and before, it was all alternative rock for me, and cool. I was just going to shows nonstop. But then as I got into college, it became – you know, and I, I lived in Israel for a year, and it, it, over there it was all about electronic music and metal. Oddly enough. Very cool. Um, so I got really into electronic music and did some work there and uh, got into hip-hop. And that's actually what I was working with when I was at ICM. I was working for a hip-hop and R&B agent. And so I've just – I've really shown tastes all over the map. And, uh, you know, my wife and I love going to Broadway. You know, so I've Fine. always been into theater too. So that's always checked the big box. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say the more iconic shows were the ones I just – uh, I'd see that we're a little bit more abstract or if I had something to do with it in college, you know, if I was an intern at the company or something like that, I just, I got so much more out of seeing it because I felt, mm. you know, even in the tiniest little speck of involvement I had, I helped get this there. Connection. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So I can't tell at what point were you already in high school deciding this is it or did you kind of stumble into this path of doing things like that? When did you decide I've got to be, like you said, even if it's a little part, when did you decide you have to be involved in production and everything that you do now? It was, you know, my first year of college was abroad, like I said. And before then I was thinking, you know what, I want to do something a little bit more practical. I want to go into media and broadcast or something like that. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Israel, I just I got so involved in music. You know, my friends and I, you know, all of a sudden you're an 18 yeah. year old in the States and that means something. But then you go over there and you're, you have, you're of legal drinking age. So you can go to all the shows <laughs> yeah. and all the clubs. And I just I was so involved with music and I was always trying to be involved in something or another. 
like and and I just especially over there with the DJ scene. You know, they had a mm. they had a very healthy DJ scene from all different aspects of of its evolution. I remember one night I ended up going to a club and Grandmaster Flash was DJing there. Um, That's wild. <laughs> and I I was standing behind him, you know, because it was one of those clubs where it was all surrounding and. You know, I said hello to him as he walked into the booth. And he's like, oh, man, you speak English? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm American, man. I, I, I'm sure you speak the language here just as bad as I do. And he's like, all right, man, well, maybe you could translate for me. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say. And, you know, all throughout the night, he kept saying, how do I say this? Because he'd want to say things in the mic, you know, hey, ladies, or put your hands up. And I'd, Whatever, I'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say, I, I knew those little, those little phrases, and I'd tell him, and, and he just kept turning his head to me. And I was thinking to myself, like, in the weirdest little uh, abstract way, I just helped out Grandmaster Flash. You know, wow. one of the create, one of the innovators of of turntablism and hip hop as a whole. Um, and that's just like one little nugget of example as to how it really just grabbed a hold of me over there. And I'd I'd go see shows, I'd go to festivals. They had just this amazing music scene over there, and obviously for electronic, but they have one of the healthiest metal scenes in the world as well. And um, I, I, I saw like all these cool European punk bands over there. And, uh, I remember Google Bordello came over there once and that was one of the wildest shows I've ever been to. Wow. I just, I got so enthralled in it there. And as, as I was figuring out where I was going to transfer to after that, I was just like, you know what? I got into the school and I want to, they have a great music business program there. I want to do this. And as I spent time in college just doing internships and, you know, getting to wet my beak and a little bit of everything, I just yeah. said, I have to do this. I have to be an agent. Very cool. So before we even get into that, I got to know, you said freshman year, you just decide you're going to go to college in Israel. How does that happen? That's like already sounds wild. It is. But you know what? If you're honestly, if you're a, a Jewish kid, uh, it's a little bit less wild because it's a very okay. frequent thing you do. Um, you know, there's a, it, they call it a gap year. They call it a, the Israelis call it Shana Aleph. It's, it's, okay. it's literally... It's a pretty. It's it's a little bit more common. It's not very common anymore. But um, and my parents weren't thrilled about it. But what was crazy is all my credits transferred, and I ended up being able to graduate early because for some reason the transfer system worked better. But wow. yeah, I I I knew so it was I like a to go Jewish there. pilgrimage, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's like it, it, it's not really a pilgrim. I feel like a pilgrimage is the wrong word for what I did because. But I just, like a gap year ish, yeah. college ish. But you I still did a little bit college too much yeah. for pilgrimage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not quite as pious, but still, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Thanks. Man, uh, that's one of those kind of things that I think I would have taken advantage of if I was to go back, was doing more things like abroad or yeah. just taking advantage of those kind of things. But very cool. So you come back, you start hustling, you do these internships, you kind of work your way into that. What made you decide to work specifically, like you said, towards the agent path instead of – any of the other kind of paths. What, uh, since I'm kind of ignorant to like what the day by day looks like of that, what was appealing to that path? When I was interning at this one record label, it was a small little indie label in Brooklyn called Trouble and Bass. And mm -hmm. uh, it's since, I think, folded up their doors intentionally, not because of loss, but they, they uh, decided to um, close up shop a few years ago. Uh, but when I was working there, the owner of the label was an electronic artist um, who went by the name Drop the Lime. And he's since actually rebranded himself as this um, 
artist called Curses, and he lives out in Berlin now. But mm. the point of it is, is that he was represented by the Windisch Agency in Chicago, where I was supposed to be going to school, because I took cool. some time off to go to New York to do some internships. Um, and, you know, I, I worked really, really hard at this internship. I literally did night and day stuff with them. I just, anything they could give me, I did just out of sheer eagerness to learn and to be a part of something. And I ended up going down to Miami with them for Miami Music Week and worked the door. And I just did all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, I just, I was so involved in it. And then when I was done, he said, you know, you know, you've earned a favor for sure. What can I do for you? And I said, well, make a call to your agent, see if they could use another intern because I'm going back to Chicago. And sure enough, he made a call and Whoa. I was able to get an internship there. And the Windish agency at the time, you know, now it's bought, it's part of Paradigm, but it, uh, it sported some of the best artists in indie alternative and electronic and even, um, you know, other genres. So I was like a kid in a candy store doing that internship. Yeah. I was working with all my favorite electronic artists at the time. Very cool. So fast forward a little bit. You said you made that transition from ICM and now you start at Bicoastal. Tell me a little bit about what Bicoastal Productions does as a whole, as a blanket, so people know. And then tell me a little bit about what does your day-to-day-ish look like. You can you can even feel like if it makes sense, you can give me a pre-COVID and what it looks like now. But, well, I found Bicoastal shortly after I left ICM, and uh, it was with literally within weeks. And at the time, it was a little bit more of a boutique agency, and we're still pretty boutique. We are we like to think of ourselves more as midsize now because of the sure. types of things we're doing. Um, you know, it's a it's a company that was started by a husband and wife couple, and the the husband Ron Gartner he was a performer all his life, but um, he was also doing sales and uh, business most of his life, and then just at a later age, he decided that he wanted to do more singing just for fun, and then. Slowly but surely, he started getting booked and uh, doing all kinds of touring and stuff like that. And then as mm. artists saw what he was doing for himself, you know, they saw how he worked, how he marketed himself. And, you know, he was a salesman his entire life. And the way that he booked himself was attractive to other artists. And slowly but surely, others started um, signing on with him to book their shows. And little by little, the agency was born from there. And, you know, what I loved about it is that no matter how old I was or where I was coming from, I had a, a voice at the table. And it's never it's never changed. You know, no matter who's come through our doors, we've always mm-hmm. had the ability to say, all right, why don't you tell us? If you know a better way to do it, we're actually here to listen. And we may end up implementing it if you're right. But show us. You have a voice. You know, Please do tell us. And I've loved the roster. I've loved how diverse we are. It's really made it, – it's kept it very stimulating for someone like me who's all over the place and I just I've really loved growing with the company. I learn new things every day, and I'm still, even though I've been doing this probably now about ten years, you know, with wherever I've been doing it, I still feel like I'm learning so much every single day, and I still have many many years to go before I think I'll be um, even close to an expert at this. But it's been a great place for me to grow. It's been a great roster to grow with, I'd say. So, and your role, what are you doing on a specific level as far as, you know, week by week? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, and if you want to do that pre and post COVID, yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I know there's been a lot of pivoting, but what, it, what does it look like when the production wheels are spinning relatively normally? Pre COVID, um, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of different 
projects depending on what artists were looking for in their careers. You know, you may have mm-hmm. an artist that has um, that has a need to be on the road 50 weeks a year and they want to just nonstop be working. And then you may have an artist that literally says, you know what, I'm okay with just doing a few weekends here and there. I'm in a place in my life where I don't really want to be on the road. Uh, but most of our days and months were spent talking to venues. You know, we divided the country up territorially for our agents and we just – Sure. We would we would really hone in on trying to be more of a resource to venues as much as we are to artists, where we're not just calling and pitching them shows. That's what I've always loved about how we how we do business is we don't pick up the phone and say, "Hey, you know, you got to book the show. It's the best show." You know, our approach has always been pick up the phone, call a venue, or call a promoter whom we may already know, or say, "You know, I'd love to hear more about what's going on in your area and your market with your room." You know. What are people responding to? What's selling a lot of tickets? What's the, what's the local population asking you for? And listening and taking note of that before you even recommend the show from our roster. Sure. And then once you have that information, if you come back to them and say, you know, based on everything I've learned about you and everything you've told me, I think, I think it'd be great if we looked at these artists. And that's really how we've always trained our artists. I mean, we've, we've had to get a little more aggressive at certain times when we're touring, but uh, we've worked very consultatively over the years and I've, I've really enjoyed that part of what we do compared to other agencies. And this is definitely not a knock on them. It's just kind of the bi-coastal way that I've kind of grown yeah. to adopt and love. Well, and then ha- like you said, having this diverse roster helps with, you know, I probably have something that works for you. So what mm-hmm. do you need? Right. And so tell me a little bit that it, I love looking at this roster. You've got some wildly diverse things. So tell, if people don't know anything about Bicoastal, give a give a quick run of some of the fun highlights of the people because immediately I see Red Hot Chili Pipers and I, I was telling you before we recorded, I was like, that is so awesome. So it's, tell me, it's a fun tell me show. about them. Well, funny enough, I saw them when, when I was in high school, actually. That was one of the shows in Milwaukee I'd always go to see because they always <laughs> were a headliner at the Milwaukee Irish Fest. And That's so it'd cool. Be, it'd be like a music festival experience because people would always come out for them. Uh, you know, they come in from Scotland. It's a real authentic, cool rock show. It's a spectacular. Um, but, you know, that's one of the shows we work with. We work with Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats. We work with Naturally 7, you know, the international acapella group. And we work with Colin Mockery on his Hiprov show, which is a really cool Comedic. That sounds so fun. Yeah. It's 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 wild, and uh, you know the group that really made by Coastal what it is is a rock super group called the Hitmen, where it's a bunch of different guys who played with some of the largest, most amazing names in classic rock, and they do a show where they not only play the music they helped write, but also tell all the stories, and it's just you know that's that's something that I've always really respected and appreciated, and then uh, you know we've we've also included a healthy mix of comedy and. A little bit of pop here and there. Uh, you never know what you're going to find with us, but uh, for instance, right now we're representing an artist who's exploded internationally on TikTok. Um, mm, there you and go. And they're just they're a viral sensation overnight. You know, thanks yeah. to the pandemic. Um, I, Which I just is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit then. Obviously, being in a company like yours, the impact of COVID is enormous. So what has the shift been like for you all and what, um, what's been the artist response? What have you all, like you and other agents, been doing to support the artists? What does that look like after the initial freak out probably hit in March? 
What's been the bounce back for you all? It's been a lot of rescheduling shows. You know, that's a big part of what everybody's doing right now is just trying to kick them down the road to make sure that they still happen at some point, um, hoping that, th that they don't all go away or go obsolete. But a big part of what our company has done is really just try to be there for uh, for venues and really offer them solutions as to while they're all remaining dark, you know, obviously our artists, but trying to find ways for both sides to bounce back and be presenting something to their followers. And uh, it's it's given us a lot more purpose and a lot more to do. It's kept us really busy is just marketing these solutions to venues to try to find ways of them implementing them so that they can just have something that's being output from their their facility. And what about your all's artists? Like what's the right now even in September? What's kind of the tone? What are you what's going on as far as like on the inside? Uh, some of them are uh, faring a little bit differently than others. I mean, for instance, you know, we have artists in Canada that are saying to us, you know, I don't think our shows in you know the first two quarters of 2021 are going to happen in the U.S. So, uh, you know, we may not even want to go for visas right now. We may just want to wait this one mm -hmm. out. And I keep saying to them, well, it's an election year here, so you never know what's going to happen after November. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't understand uh, how crazy this is Yeah, right like nobody will ever understand um, what it's like over here now. And I think I think the U.S. specifically, uh, it was not a good year for us to have COVID-19. And I know it's a horrible thing to say because it's never a good year, but uh, the way that our country is right now when it comes to political and, and social issues, mm. um, COVID-19 just – it was there's so many things we could talk about with that but the point is is that i think once an election happens here and there's a result of some kind regardless of who wins there's going to be a bit of a clearer direction as to where things are going to go um yeah. for the next year and i've been trying to tell yeah. artists that and uh you know some artists are just they're 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 doing experimental things we're booking some drive-ins we're booking some um alternative style appearances and uh, a lot of virtual stuff and from your perspective, because, you know, me as a consumer, I've, I've seen a lot of those. You know, I would probably do a drive-in thing. I haven't done one yet. But what's the, been the response? Is that, you know, worth the time and effort right now for you all? Is it a wash or has it been, you know, wildly successful with some people? What do you – what's your take on kind of those alternative methods? Uh, it's something. You know, I think, I think really the way to build something up now is through virtual – I think there's a really good potential for incremental revenue to be generated. Well, um, you know, right now, not just during COVID-19, but also afterwards with building a presence online with a virtual performance model. But uh, when it comes to drive-ins and things like that, it's, it's definitely a cute little alternative. And it's uh, it's something, you know, to bring mm -hmm. some money in and to give some people jobs. I don't think it's a, it's a really lasting model for anybody. And yeah, I just think it's something that... Um, is an option now. I mean, it's it's so it's so wild and abstract if you think about it. Right now, down the street from me here in uh, New Jersey Shore, there's a a restaurant that my wife and I love going to by the racetrack. Um, mm -hmm. There's a horse track on the shore here in Monmouth County, and they have this little restaurant on the property called Blue Grotto and the Count Basie Theater, which is a venue in Red Bank, a couple towns mm -hmm. over from here. They've decided that they are going to build a little outdoor stage at this restaurant. In the backyard, you know, they got this cool little setup, and they're going to host world-class shows there for up to 200 people, I believe, is the cap. Wow. Um, and you'd think, okay, they'll have, you know, regional bands, local bands. It'll be good. 
Last week, I think, or maybe two weeks ago, they had Kevin Hart doing four shows there, you know? Yeah, I believe it. At a restaurant that my wife and I go to, you know, Kevin Hart sells out arenas. And it's like, if we, you know, if, if, and the tickets obviously are starting at like $120 all the way up to a thousand probably for that show. Yeah. Um, But you never really know, but people are going to always find a way. There's really, there's really always going to be something that people do to try to stay active and in front of people. Well, what is your – you already kind of hinted at it a little bit. But if you were to pull out your crystal ball uh, and just make some wild predictions for next year, what do you think we're going to see if you were to guess – I don't know. I have no idea where, where I'm even thinking this question will go. But do you have any predictions for what it will look like as we bounce back or um, – because I know people are hungry for things. But people are also still scared and some some areas, you know, have it more stressful than others. So what do you think as, you know, you're looking ahead to the next quarters and things like that and making some game plans, what do you think we're going to see over the next year? I think that it's not going to have a, a semblance of normalcy until probably quarters three and four of next year. I think one and two are going to be where the reparations start happening. Um, maybe that's the wrong word to use for this, but I think that's when uh, that's when a lot of it's going to start figuring itself out. And I just I think that a lot of it's not even going to be about safety going back out. You know, because even if there's a vaccine that's released later this year, like they're all speculating, it's not going to be a quick fix. It's going to be a gradual improvement, especially as a lot of people are going to be nervous about taking it up front. Uh, sure. So you're going to you're going to have a period of time where people start feeling more and more comfortable. Obviously, the young people are going to flock out like crazy in the beginning. But, you know, the elderly population that's that are buying those expensive tickets. Sure. Excuse me. It's uh, it's going to be it's, it's going to be a while before they are able to confidently go out and feel safe. So I think you're start, going to start seeing a little bit more in the normalcy side around summer and post summer of next year. Well, so somebody, you know, a high schooler, maybe someone who's in college or maybe somebody who's ready for a career change that thinks, you know, they, why not? Why not get involved now? Why not, like you said, intern and be on this upswing? What are some things you would recommend to somebody or, you know, how would you tell them to get involved if they wanted to work at somewhere like Bicoastal? Uh, Somewhere like Bicoastal? You know, we're uh, if you're daring to enter the industry right now, then God bless you. But uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I think that the biggest thing I can always recommend to people is, you know, take school seriously, but don't don't think that it's going to get you everywhere. That a good degree mm-hmm. and good grades, and, and especially in college, are going to get you everywhere. The thing that people know you for for is is where you've been and what you've done professionally. And if you are a person who you know you know, thinks school is important, takes it seriously, but also goes out and really just tries to immerse themselves in, uh, in themselves in experiences and in networking anywhere they possibly can. And if you get to meet people professionally that way, you're much more likely to go farther in this business because people hire who they know and who who they can envision spending a day with and who they can envision, yeah, you know, entrusting with great responsibility to. Like I, whenever I interview somebody, if I, if I know the person, from, from passing, like I have a, I have an agent working for me in the Southeast. Uh, her name's Allison Urban. She's just awesome. But when I hired her, 
I had already known her for years. You know, I'd, I'd known her. I'd seen her at conferences. You know, she'd come to my events. And uh, I just always, I always knew of her and I always knew she was somebody good. And when, when the time came for her to interview with me, I was, it was, it was more like a formality because I already had known her just from repetitively meeting her and just knowing that she was always busy in this industry. So I always, I've always found people to be more appealing in that way whenever I'm hiring. Yeah. Those loose ties kind of reconnecting things for sure. Yeah. That's how all of my positions I've ever had. It's been those, those loose ties and, um, you know, rekindling those things. So yeah, for sure. So Lastly, is there anything somebody should know if they're on the other end of that spectrum? They're an artist working their way up and maybe getting to the point where they feel like uh, working with a production company would be, you know, working with an agent, everybody would be beneficial. What what does the musician who's working through those decisions, what do you think they need to, to know and think about before, uh, you know, they come to you and they feel like they have their tail between their legs or anything, you know? We're not all bad. I mean, we have <laughs> a reputation, uh, but the truth is, is you have to make sure that you're also somebody that's ready for an agent and uh, that you actually indeed need one. There's quite mm-hmm. a few people that, you know, come out of the woodwork and say, you know, it's time for me to have an agent. And maybe, maybe they're, you know, they still have some work to do before an agent is going to have much to do for them. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've said no to representing somebody largely because I wasn't the right agent for them. Maybe there was an agent at a competing company that would be perfect for them. And I'll blatantly say that. And sometimes I'll even refer them. I'll even, you know, call an agent friend of mine in another company and say, hey, this wasn't right for me, but I, you know, based on your roster, I think you'd kill it with them. You know, let me hook it up. Because, you know, that's that's the kind of person I want to be in business. That's the kind of, uh, you know, competitor I want to be. You know, I I like helping others out and other people help us out. Uh, but, But really, that's that's the biggest thing is, are you ready for an agent? You know, are you overwhelmed with the budding career that you've created and, or are you an existing artist with a, a prosperous career or you you've hit a rut with your current representation? You know, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. I look for people where I can see a path to success. And if I can't see it, they're maybe able to, to walk me through it. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, here's my plan, here's what I've been working on. Here's the people that I'm working with on my team. This is where we believe we can go with this, and here's why. I'm much more likely to, you know, spend yeah. my time and invest my agent's time in that. You know, Ears that's really what it up. is. I yeah. just I want I want my team to be productive. For sure. Well, man, this has been a great chat of kind of like a uh, Wizard of Oz peek behind the curtain. So, lastly, before we head out, I want to get where can people find everything. Bicoastal and everything that you're doing. Find us online, bicoastalproductions.com. That's where you can find our roster, our contact info. I welcome anybody to reach out to us. Uh, I'll do my best to get back to everybody in a timely fashion. We do get a lot of stuff coming in, so uh, it may get a little delayed, but uh, definitely like keeping the conversation going with just about everybody. So um, that's that's about it for me. I, I really appreciate you having me on, Chris, and I've uh, I've also really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh, like like this peek behind the curtain. And like you said, I've always uh, – performing for me has always been, you know, my kind of side hobby, things like that. So it's cool to see when I look at my 
you know, the performers I think are cool and that I go to see a show, all those things behind the curtain, I might not have even noticed. So lastly, the absolute last thing before I let you go is, um, why do you think even now or always, is it important for people to make more music? Why would you encourage people to make more music? It's the most universal medium, in my opinion. Uh, there's really nothing like it for just about anybody to connect in the world. I turned my car on the other day with my 16-month-old baby, and something started playing from my phone, like a house music song, and she started bopping and just giggling in the back seat. Um, you know, that house producer was making a club anthem, but it turned around the start of my daughter's entire day. I mean, that's just a, a quirky little example from here. But yeah, club car make, seat. I love it. Yeah, make make your make make more music because uh, the world could always use more of it. Even when you think it's too saturated, there's there's always space for more, especially if it's original and it's coming from the right place because it'll probably land in the right one as well. Mm. Well, Jack, this was a great conversation. If I feel like I need to pick your brain. I feel like we've got a lot of cool things that we left on the table that maybe we could come back to at some point. So Call me I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it again sometime. So I appreciate you. For Jack and for Chris, everybody remember, give more grace, share more love, make more music. All right, music makers, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jack from Bicoastal Productions. And if you did, as always, you can leave a rating and review in your podcast player. You can follow us on Instagram. You can reach out to me with any questions at makemoremusicpodcast at gmail.com. And the best thing you can do is tell somebody that you think would like this show, whether it's a friend, family, a total stranger you've met that they like music. doesn't matter to me. Uh, if you want to learn more about Bicoastal Productions, you can find all of Jack's links in the show notes and you can get in touch with him. Uh, super cool guy, super easy to chat with, and all just a ton of knowledge. So uh, definitely reach out if you want some insider information. But other than that, y'all stay well, and I'll catch you on the next one. Remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music. Music.